Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Matt and I are back with another episode of the Coaches Coffee Club podcast. Hello, Matt. Hello, mate. I thought you were saying good morning to me then, so I did get slightly I know, confused. I'm catering to, catering to all of our listeners all around the world whenever they may listen to this episode. So uh, well done. they can pick which of the above applies to them. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, we're back again. Uh, this is episode four of season three. Um, again, big thanks to everyone who's listened to the first three episodes. If you haven't, where have you been? Go back and listen to them, please, because that's why we do it. Um, but who do we have today, Matt? You were responsible for today's guest, and I appreciate it. Was we had a good friend of mine, John Prince, on today. So I've worked with John at the FA. I worked with him again at Preston North End, and he has just recently started a new job at Blackburn. So we had a, a very good talk uh, to him. It was a bit, a bit of a reflection at the start, I guess, about his journey because he started off as a teacher. Um, realised that wasn't for him and then pursued his love of football and uh, it took us through to today really and it was a very insightful discussion. Yeah, it's really interesting how coaching and, and a career in football was never really on the cards for him until, as he'd say, quite late, he kind of fell upon it and then um, lost lost sort of motivation in his, his role and then thought oh maybe football could work yeah and credit yeah. to him to where he's got himself to now because usually people in that position it's a sort of longer term plan and quite a thought out thing from a young age and, and John made the switch credit to him and, and done really well yeah I think it, it was really interesting to hear that story because it, it's how it shaped him as a person now and also I think because he didn't do that he's he's like extra driven now you know to get better to you know develop himself and yeah, it's, it's quite an inspiring story, really. So, yeah, it was it was a good one today. Yeah, definitely. Uh, good insight into his uh, his his thoughts and his beliefs, and especially what what struck me about him is his like you you touched on his his learning ability and and being yeah. a learner and and his drive to get better. Um, so, loads yeah. of stuff in there about that. Um, John is also a fellow podcast host, isn't he? John has a podcast. He is. He is. And it's the Curious Coaches Club. Yeah, Is that sorry, right? I believe so. That's right, yeah. You've been a guest on there, you should know. You I know. have been a guest on there. Yeah. I, I wasn't sure about club at the end, but it's definitely Curious Coaches Podcast. So, uh, yeah. he, he has some really good guests on. He was, he was actually talking to us just off air then about, you know, the, the, the guest he interviewed this weekend, which sounds really good. Um, so, yeah, he is a fellow podcaster and, and well yeah. worth uh, checking out as well. Yeah, definitely. Go and have a listen to that as well. Um, make sure you subscribe to to us and john uh, and go and check out all the previous previous episodes now that people are getting back in the car there's absolutely no excuse um but that's enough from me and matt we're off to watch the european cup uh, euros cup final hopefully england uh, bring it home and uh yeah fingers crossed but here's our conversation with john prince hope you enjoy it Good evening, Matt. Good evening, John. Good evening. Hello. How are How you are both? We? I'm very good. I'm very good. It's really good to, to see you, Lee, and be catching up and to see Matt as well. Yeah, great to have you on, mate. Appreciate you giving up the time. Uh, it's currently uh, half past five, Sunday, the 11th of July. So when this goes live, we could either be ecstatic or devastated with the England result. I know, I know which way Matt's hoping it goes. But <laughs> what, what are your predictions, John? Before we go, before we go off and, and watch the game, what do you reckon? 
Oh, you're putting me on the spot now. Um, I think they can do it. I hope they're going to do it, obviously. Um, I think it will be quite tight. Uh, I'm going to go... I'm going to go 2-1 England. 2-1 England. Yeah, what about you, Matt? As the... In normal time, John? Or... Um, yeah, normal time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I agree, actually. I think, not with 2-1, but I do, think, I do think that they can do it. Um, it's, not, you know, it's not as surprising, I think, as some people have found it. I think they played really well. So, I agree. I think it'll be really, really tight. And I think it, it will be. There'll be one goal in it. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I do hope England win it. I do hope yeah. they win it. I, I agree. I, I think I think we can. I think we will. In in a strange way, I'm glad we conceded in the semi final and, and came back from that because that that gives a, a bit of a confidence boost. Had we never mm. not conceded or gone behind all tournament, and then if I think the Italians will score tonight, if we go a goal behind in a final, you know the nerves and stuff. But if we do now, we've got the confidence that. You know, we've been there, we've done that, and we've got the quality to turn it around. But I'm excited, yeah. can't wait for it. It'll be great. But um, just just before we, we get into the conversation, John, um, mm. did this with our last guest. If we were to give you 60 seconds just to give us a, a quick chat around mm. your career, your your sort of life in football and, and coaching, yeah. I guess having that 60 seconds might um, uh, challenge you to, to touch on the poignant part. So... Um, once you start talking, mate, I'll give you 60 seconds and uh, fire away. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to do it. Um, I'm going to do it back to the future style. So I'm going to start with now. So I'm, I'm currently um, coaching at Blackburn Rovers. I've just moved into a new role um, where I'm a senior youth coach. So that's working with the 13s through to the 16s. And um, we've had a bit of a restructure at the club and I've come into that new position. So that that's quite exciting prior to that um I was the lead YDP coach at Preston North End and then I've also coached at Burnley Huddersfield and Celtic when I was living in Scotland as well and then in addition to that and and before those roles I had uh, that was where I met Matt so I worked at the FA for about four or five years um and leading into that I had a, a role um, a county FA which was a sort of football development role and prior to that really my sort of coaching started um, when I was working as a school teacher just taking the school teams and built from there and it built it through a lot of volunteering a lot of different community type sessions and just sort of working my way through so that's the the whistle stop tour I don't know if that's 60 seconds or not yeah, it's pretty good John <laughs> Good that. Just um, you know, you said there about your, your teaching, and mm. I guess that's your first first experience of coaching. Was that yeah? Was that something you were interested in pursuing, or something that was kind of fell upon your lap as a as a as a teacher, and you had an interest in football? So it was just I'll, I'll take the team, and then it snowballed from yeah. there. Or was it a plan? Yeah, no, it wasn't a plan. It sort of fell fell upon my lap, really. So um, I sort of. I was drifting a bit in my early 20s. I didn't really know, like a lot of people really, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I'd done a degree and I didn't really feel like, well, to be honest, the degree I hadn't really particularly enjoyed or felt that I'd probably made the most of it. Although, and, and I sort of come out of it and it had taken up quite a lot of time, cost me quite a lot of money. And I kind of was drifting through a few jobs and I, I had a real desire to want to use that degree and kind of make, the period at university feel like it had some some value so um at the time they were sort of advertising for 
teachers um, to, to come into the profession. There was quite a good um, offer where you could get some money to train. Um, so I, I decided to go for it. And, and what sort of led me to that was that I, in terms of the sort of skills that I liked using, I had quite a lot of sales, sales type jobs. And I really just enjoyed helping people. Um, and I thought that the teaching would give me that opportunity to do that alongside kind of using my degree. So anyway, I went into teaching, I was 24. And what they tend to do with young teachers is you're a little bit like the equivalent of a T-boy. So they get, they get you to do all the jobs that they don't want to do, really. And um, they sort of say, oh, this will be really good for you. You could do this. But really, they just want you to they just want you to do something for them. So um, I, I was just asked, you know, well, we're looking for a we're looking for a football coach for the year sevens, which is obviously the first year in secondary school under 12s. Um, you, you quite like football, don't you? Would you like to do it? And I was like, uh, yeah, I do. And uh, yeah, OK, I'll give it a go. And were you, so were, they you just, were you teaching PE, John, or were you doing different no, subjects? no? So I was I was teaching uh, I was teaching drama. So that was that was what I studied at university. So um, and I'd kind of kind of fallen into that really, but that, that's a bit of another story. But but yeah, so I was teaching drama, so it's something completely different. But I loved football. Football was my main passion, and I just um, I just I just fancied having a go at it. So I volunteered. And it started with, there was a tournament, like a five-a-side tournament, an indoor tournament. So I went off on a minibus with the PE teacher and we took this group of year sevens and we just had a brilliant time. It was, you know, we did really well. We actually won the tournament, nothing to do with me. We just, had, we actually had a really good group of players and I, I was, I was buzzing afterwards. I loved it and the kids loved it. And uh, then they said, oh, right, you know, would you take them for training now? And I said, yeah. And, and, you know, when I think back to what I did, I mean, it was it was it wasn't really any coaching. It was just literally, you know, facilitating and getting them into games and stuff. And it, it was just really fun. And then um, that kind of gave me a little bit of inspiration to to carry on doing it. So when I got my first teaching job, I, I you know, I, found, I sought out the head of PE and I said, listen, I'd like to get involved with taking one of the teams. And he sort of bit my hand off, really. And um, yeah, that was where it started. That was where it began. John, I'm, I'm interested in talking to you about how it went from that to mm. you just stepping away from teaching <laughs> completely. Because obviously I know you, so I know mm. what happened. But, it, but I, I think it's quite an inspiring story because sometimes, mm. well, most of the time when people get into an industry where there is uh, regular progression and pathways and good money and pensions, yeah. they stay in that industry forever. And there mm. was a point where you just said, no, not for me. Talk, yeah. talk us through that, that, you yeah. know, what you were thinking and then what, what next? Like, you know, what did you do? Well, the, the thing with teaching was, and anyone who's listening to this who is a teacher or who's been a teacher will know, is it's a really, it's a really tough job. It, it is rewarding, but it's, it's very intense. And I'm the kind of person as well where I'm, I'm very sort of all or nothing. And when I commit to something, I, I sort of give give everything really. So I sort of began teaching. Um, I probably wasn't a natural really. So you, you get different types of a bit like with coaches. You get some people who just take to it straight away. They're they're really really good at it. They make it look very easy. You get other people who have to work to become good at it. And I was I was a bit like that with teaching really. And um, in my in my first year, um, you know, it, it was it was a, a sort of roller coaster year. It was, 
it was really challenging. It was really tough. I was still sort of playing football at the time, non-league, but I sort of dropped that because it was just all-consuming, really, the, the job. Mm. And um, I ended up getting a job at, um, at the school I was at for my second placement. So uh, I started the next year at that school and it was a very mixed school. You know, it wasn't the toughest school, but it wasn't the easiest school. We had some really able kids, but we had some really challenging kids as well. So it was, it was a really good school to be at, really. Um, but then what happened was um, in the department I was in, the, uh, the head of department, she went off on maternity leave. So I was sort of in my first year, my um you know, the year when I was, I was trying to get qualified teacher status and she sort of disappeared and I was sort of dropped in the deep end really. And um, <laughs> I ended up sort of being acting head of department in my first year, which was, it was all a bit too much to be honest, but yeah, it gave me a fantastic opportunity. And then when she, when she came back, she actually didn't want to come back full time. So the, the head teacher said, do you want to take this on? You know, you've done quite well. I think to be honest, in hindsight, he probably didn't really value that department very highly and he just wanted it handed over to someone to look after it. And I was quite cheap as a newly qualified teacher. I didn't cost a lot of money. So anyway, I got this opportunity and, um, you know, it, it, I, I sort of, I sort of, you know, had some really good moments, like I put on some school productions and, um, you know, I was sort of having to learn a lot on my feet, putting a curriculum together, managing other staff, managing a budget. Um, but I found it hard work and it, it, I was the sort of teacher, I, I was in at seven in the morning. I then went home after school, after doing after school clubs and, and bits of things. And then I would have my dinner and then I'd work till nine o'clock at night, you know, planning and prepping for the next day and stuff. And it was, it was exhausting. It was, it was exhausting. So I ended up having a conversation really with a teacher about two or three years in. And uh, he'd been at the school for 35 years, I think. And the way he phrased it to me was he said, uh, he said, do you know what, John? He said, this year I've done 35 years. And he said it like it was a prison sentence. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I can't do that. I can't do that. <laughs> and then a few weeks later, I was in a meeting and it was very sort of data driven. Like a lot of the meetings we had, it was about league tables, data. We've got to do this. We've got to get these you know, we've got to get all these stats to this level because this is how we're assessed. It wasn't really about the kids. It was just about, um, you know, it's just about, about hitting targets. And I was just listening to the head teacher, like droning on about all this stuff. And I just thought, I looked around the room. It was like a bit of an out-of-body experience. I looked around the room at all these people and I just thought, I can't be a part of this. Like, I can't do this. This isn't, I, I can't do this. And then what happened at the same time as well was a, a good friend of mine we, uh, it was a bank, May bank holiday and we were having a conversation and we had had a couple of drinks, but we were having a conversation and he said to me, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to cycle from Land's End to John O'Groats. And I was like, wow, that sounds brilliant. I said, I would love to do that. When are you going to do that? He said, I'm going to do it in September. First two weeks of September. I said, ah, oh, I can't do that. I'll be back at school. And he's like, but I thought you hated your job at the moment. <laughs> I said, well, I do. He said, well, why don't you just leave? I said, I can't, I've got like, I've got a mortgage, I've got, I'm head of department, I'm, you know, they think I'm good, blah, blah. He's like, well, what's the worst that could happen? And I thought about it and I thought, well, he's got a point to be honest, because if, if I leave and it doesn't work out, I can, I can just go back to it. 
teaching's yeah. a bit like that, really. So I thought about it a bit more over the weekend, and I went home and I wrote my letter of resignation. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember going in to see the head teacher, and I had this envelope and knocked on his door, and I wouldn't see him very much. So he was a bit sort of like, I could see he was a bit puzzled about why I was there and a bit worried as well, I think, because it could have been anything in that envelope. But he, he said, can you tell me what this is about, right? Do I, you know, before I open it? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave because you had to give a term's notice. So yeah. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to leave at the end of the summer term. He was like, what? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave. He's, he's like, oh, right. Um, where are you going? What, have you got another job? And I said, no. I said, no, I, I don't have another job. He said, well, what, what do you, he was just completely puzzled because he, he'd, he'd been a teacher all his life. And, yeah. Like, but, you know, we want to get you on the uh, training scheme for like senior management. We're going to we want you to be an assistant head teacher. And I said, yeah, but I don't want to do that. He's like, well, but, but what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I don't know, but I, I'm not going to be here next year. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so it was, it was quite exciting, really. And, and the interesting thing was what happened was that after I did this and sort of word got around, there was quite a few people coming up to me saying, what, you know, like, where are you going? I was sort of explaining. And they'd say, God, I would love to do that. And I'd say, well, go on then, just do it. And they'd say, mm, I can't because of this, this and this. And um, anyway, I just, I, I read something a few years later and it, it was this quote that I liked about, you know, if it said, if you want to take the island, burn your boats. And that, I suppose that was what I did. You know, I, I gave myself, I forced myself to have to make something happen. Um, but the scary thing was, I mean, I was young and probably a bit reckless, but the scary thing was I literally had no idea what I was going to do. Um, but I did it anyway. I did it. John, did you know that football was going to be next, though? No. No, I, I, no, I didn't really. I I, I didn't, but I, I thought what because because it was so all-consuming, like the the job. I knew, I felt that I just needed to step away completely to sort of like have some time. I mean, I was sort of joking with people; it was like my quarter-life crisis. But it, it kind of was in a way like I was I was moving towards thirty, and I just thought, ah, looking ahead, I, I want I want something different for my life. Um, and you know, yeah, what what is the worst that could happen? So once you realised it was football, mm. what did you do? Because every we always speak to people and we talk about, you know, what advice would you give? But you've actually yeah. done it, you know, where you've gone and, and you mm. know, some people might be in a similar position where, you know, they're yeah. in an industry and they go, oh, I'd love to do that, but I wouldn't yeah. know where to start. Where did you yeah. start and what did you do? Well, I sort of... I, it was really, I, it was really a bit of a journey of discovery, and I suppose the best way to describe it is like a process of refinement. So I, I spoke to a lot of people. I read a lot of stuff. I read quite a, an inspiring book called um, "What Color Is Your Parachute," which really got me thinking. And and the book asked you a lot of questions, and it got you kind of thinking about the sort of, you know, like the environment that you wanted to be in, the skills that you wanted to use. And it talked as well about if you want to, if you want to get another job, you almost have to approach it in a full-time way. So, you know, if you, if, if you, you can't just, you know, um, write off a couple of letters of application and sit up, sit with your feet up sort of thing, you, you know, you've got to be working like nine to five, mm. like you're in a full-time job to get the next bit. 
So what I started doing was in the short term, I needed some money. So I did some supply teaching and I did some PE teaching because I, I wanted to be outdoors, really. Um, and I'd had a job in the past that I loved where I was cutting grass for the council. And it sounds ridiculous, but I love that job because I was just outside all day. So I knew that I wanted to be doing something outside. I knew I wanted to be doing something that involved helping people. I knew I was really passionate about football. And what I'd started doing while I was teaching was I started doing a few qualifications and I started to meet people who worked full time in football as a job. And this was kind of like something that was unthinkable to me when I was sort of thinking at school what I might want to do. Um, So I started doing bits of things and... Um, I went on this bike ride, which gave me a lot of time to think and talk about stuff with a close friend. And I kind of came to that realisation on that journey that I think I might want to pursue this. You know, I might want to pursue coaching. So what I needed then was I needed more experience of actually being in a coaching environment. So I started doing a lot of um, supply te- PE supply teaching um, just to kind of test the water, really. Um, and then it sort of snowballed from there. So. Then it was a case of finding out, well, if I want to get this, what do I need? Where are the gaps? Um, And there were obviously a lot of gaps. So it was build experience, build qualifications, build contacts and do 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 lots and lots of different things to sort of, you know, accelerate myself. So um, it came came to a point where I actually realized I needed to move somewhere else because I'd, I'd ended up moving back in with my mum at like the age of 28, which was quite embarrassing, really, but necessary. And but the area where she was living in, in the southwest, there weren't really any opportunities. And then I got an opportunity to go up to Scotland, to Glasgow. And I thought I probably need to do that because it's a football city. There'll be a lot more things for me to get involved in. Uh, so I moved there. I moved to the, you know, to another country, really, for an opportunity and to get myself in a position where, you know, it would offer me the things that I needed. Um, and then, you know, moving forward from there, it was just all the time thinking about what do I need for the next, I, I just focused on one step at a time. So what do I need yeah. for the next bit? I need to get my B license, right? I'll go and get my B license. I need to get more experience of working with different age groups, right? I'll start doing that. And I had about three or four different coaching jobs that I was sort of spinning all these plates. But um, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was um, it was good, but it was tough. It was tough yeah. as well. A, a lot of people that we talk about uh, or talk to, they mention that their wide and varied experiences have mm. helped shape them as a coach and as a person. What yeah. what do you think? What would you draw out of all this experience? Because you've got a real wide range of experiences from different yeah. areas, working with different people. What what do you think that has brought with you? You know, that, that maybe somebody who would just be in one, you know, let's say mm. in a football club or as a teacher and you're just in one place for 30 years compared to what you've done. What do you think that, yeah. that brings with you? Well, I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned is about the need to become uncomfortable and step outside your comfort zone. And I know that's a bit of a cliche, but an example of it really is. So I, I, I did drama. Drama was like what I studied at university, which is which I used to kind of try to hide really when I got into coaching, I sort of tried to, I wouldn't really talk about it. And it's only been probably more in more recent years. I, I've come to appreciate the value of it because mm. what happens in drama is it's all about really being able to the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes. And that's a great skill for coaching. You know, it really is to be able to understand 
the world from another perspective, but then also to understand all the bits that come with it. So, you know, as an example of that, like I, I chose that as an option randomly at school. And uh, it was literally, I've stuck for a last GCSE option. I had a mate bumped into him at options evening. I said, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm going to do drama. It's fun. The teacher's good, isn't she? I said, yeah, I'll do that. It'll be a laugh. So I sort of fell into that. And, but then just continued with it because it was really good. And I suppose the point I'm making here is that the, the things that you do, it's all about opportunity and it's all about surrounding yourself with the right people. And what I mean by that is, you know, getting yourself into the right places that give you the opportunities that you need um, and being around the right people to learn from um, and grow with and inspire you. Um, Cause that's what I always loved about drama. It wasn't so much the subject. I never wanted to be an actor, but I loved the people that you got to, the people who did it and, and the people you got to surround yourself with, you know, and, and, and experiences I had such as, you know, like I had, I was a real introvert when I was at school. I wasn't very confident, but I had a friend who was a top athlete and he came third in the nationals in year 10 at school in the 110 meter hurdles. He was amazing. But I watched him and he never fulfilled his potential because the nearest athletics club was an hour and a half away. He had no parental support and he just sort of um, faded away, really, 16 onwards. And that was a big lesson for me. But the other thing that he gave me was he was like his personality was like Usain Bolt. He was such an extrovert. And when we went to do A-levels, there was a school production and he said, come on, we're going to go and audition for this. And I was like, no, I can't. I can't do that. That's like, no, it didn't interest me at all. And he's like, no, no, we're going to do it. Come on. So we went and auditioned and uh, I ended up getting the lead role and I, I couldn't even sing. I couldn't sing at all. <laughs> and um, I had to learn to sing from scratch. Um, but it was, I wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for him. So by being around those people, you know, it put me, gave me an amazing experience. Like, and I draw experiences from that for football, really, because at 16, I was performing in front of my peers and, pe and parents and teachers five nights in a row in front of three, 400 people singing, um, performing a script. And that was pressure, you know, that was pressure and that was that was that was like going in that was performing it was like going in front of a crowd in a in front in a game making your debut at 16 it was like the, the skill set was the same really um and you can't put limits on people and and, and you, you can't put limits on yourself and so there's loads of lessons really whatever you're doing in your life there's loads of lessons to be drawn but you've got to be you've got to see them you've got to see them and you've got to be prepared to experience things and you've got to be prepared to put yourself out of your comfort zone John, one thing I was going to ask, mm. what can coaches or coaching learn from teachers or teaching? Because I think mm. there's massive parallels there. And I, yeah, quite a few things struck me over the lockdown. I watched all of the like educating Essex and educating Yorkshire yeah. programs, which sort of give a behind the scenes of teaching at secondary school, mm. especially so many things resonated with me that I need to be better. Or just teachers, as you've said, are fascinating. Yes. But what, yeah. what can can coaches or, or people in coaching take or, or or what things have you still got now you're a yeah. coach that you learn in your time as a teacher? Well, there, there are things. I mean, I think teaching and coaching as a link has become a little bit of a, a cliche because what I would also say is that, to, that 
in teaching there's a lot of bad teachers as well you know like it's the shocking thing about teaching is from being on the inside a bit like you know with academy football really there's a presumption that it's highly professional that everyone is really really good and they're not you know they're not that in a school there's a handful of teachers who might be very very good but the majority are average to poor and I think that's the same in academy coaching as well if I'm honest but I think the big thing with teaching is um there's probably three things really I think is and it's very applicable to coaching it and it's the planning the delivery and the review so in teaching the big difference is unlike academy coaching you get a group of players who come along and they love the subject they love playing football they play it even if you weren't there so there's no you know you can't really get it wrong or it's hard to get it wrong in teaching you get a group of you get a group of students and when I was teaching I had 15 different classes in a week of different ages of different abilities and so your planning is huge and one of the biggest things is planning for engagement you've got to be able to engage these these kids and hook them in because they're not just going to do it they're just not going to do it so that's a big challenge you've got to plan for learning you know planning for learning is massive you've got to build it into the plan and you've got to plan for differentiation as well so in any group of people you've got some people for whom it'll be a bit hard and they need it a bit easier or they need a bit of support and you've got other people who need stretching and pushing and challenging so I think the planning side of things is massive and all good coaches are really good planners in my opinion but they probably make it look like they're doing it off the cuff um so planning is huge then you've got the delivery um and the, there's a real skill to that i mean matt and i are sort of quite good friends with damien hughes and one of the things that he said to us once was about you know sharing stuff he said i'll share all of my presentations all of my resources he said because you might have it but you won't be able to deliver it like i i can and, um, you know, you can have the best session plan in the world, but it's actually the skill of how you deliver it. And that's what I think the best coaches do. And that's what the best teachers do. They bring things to life. If you think about the best teachers you had at school, they're teachers who they're enthusiastic, but they make you feel good about yourself. So I think coaches, you've got to make the players feel good about themselves. And I think that's what the best teachers and coaches do. Um, and then the final part is the review part. And this is something that probably is the most neglected part. But if you're focused on improvement and getting better, you have to be you have to be really good and consistent in reviewing things. And that's the same if you're a player, if you're a coach, if you're a teacher, you know, and there was a real big emphasis put on that in teacher training about review. You have to review every single lesson and you have to record it all. And it was quite a good habit to be in, really. And I think that's something that, you know, coaches should do more of because there's always things that you can think about after the session where you think I need to change that next time. That bit, that bit didn't quite work. That bit was good. I need to do that again. I need to be giving him more. I need to be giving him less. I need to, you know, whatever it might be, that review part I think is massive. So they would probably be the big three areas, I think. And, and in fast forward to your role now, mm. can you give us a few insights around what that looks like now yeah. in your role, the sort of the planning, delivery and reviewing in, in, in your current role or all the roles you've most recently had yeah well my my um my role now is a new challenge because I'm going from an environment um where I pretty much had to do everything so the club I was at previously uh, Preston it was a fantastic learning experience because 
you know, I was doing everything from, you know, taking the under 16s, coaching, um, organizing, you know, being the, being the kit person, washing the kit sometimes, certainly counting all the kit for every game, for every age group, managing five age groups, managing all the logistics that go with that, um, you know, everything like that. Whereas I'm going now into an environment where there's more staff. Uh, so there's three of us full time working across the 13s to 16s. And I think probably what I'm really conscious of going in is just not to try to do too much too soon. And I think it's about it's a bit like when you coach, you know, you've got to build relationships. You've got to observe before you start diving in and trying to change things and and, and trying to trying to help people, really. So uh, you've got to get that buy in. And my role now is 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 really focused, which is great. And it's about trying to, um, two things really, about trying to help the players get better. So focused around all the players, making sure we've got plans, individual plans for all the players. We've got a clear um, program for them. What are we doing with their games program, training program, what individual bits, you know, what's their individual learning plan, what's on it? Does it work for them? How can we make that better? And then it's also about working with the coaches and the two go hand in hand. So it's about supporting all the coaches under 13s to 16s and helping them get better as well. Um, so, so it's, yeah, it's, a, it's a, a really good role and a really good opportunity and, and something that I'm really excited about. Talk about you as a, as a coach. What, what type of mm. coach are you? Um, well, I, I, my sort of coaching philosophy is is built around three things really. So three beliefs, I suppose, you could call them values, you could call them beliefs. My beliefs are that, that fun has to come first. So enjoyment, I think is absolutely massive. And I think that goes all the way through football from the youngest to, you know, to the senior players. Because at some point, what we have to remember is at some point, these, these kids that we're working with, these players, they have fallen in love with football. We've all fallen in love with football at some point. And when they come into academy football, they, they come into academy football because they've displayed some ability at it and they happen to find themselves in an academy. And I think that our job is to make sure that when they leave us, whenever that is, even if it's to go to the first team, because they'll all leave at some point, they still have that love of playing football. We have that duty to them, I think. Mm. Um, so I really believe in that. And I think that the sessions, they have to be fun. They have to be enjoyable. And I think that's something that England have got back into, you know, the international, um, you know, the international programme, really. They have brought fun back into it. You can see them in yeah. the pool, the recovery stuff. They're enjoying being with each other. They enjoy the sessions. They enjoyment want to be there. They? they want to be there. Yeah, enjoyment yeah. is massive. So that that that's really really important to me and I think that comes first the second thing is you know I think we have a, a, a you know a massive opportunity really to um to teach these players about stuff that's more than football so we've, we've got to give them a learning mindset we've got to help them understand that every session is a learning opportunity and it might not just be in relation to football it might be in, in relation to values in relation to behaviors you know, we're there to we're there to help guide them and help develop them. So I, I, I really believe in a learning environment. It's got to be fun. There's got to be learning taking place, but um, it's also got to be an environment that's 
you know, that's hard working. So, you know, what I think is that when a player comes off the pitch, they should have a smile on their face. They should be sweating because they've run around a lot. They've not been stood around listening to the coach. They've been really active. They've burnt off loads of energy, um, but they've also been made to think about something. And yeah. that for me is the sort of guiding principles of, of how, how, what I believe in anyway. Um, and yeah. I'm not saying that this is the way to do it. I'm just saying that that's, that's what I believe in. And, and how does that impact your practices then? What, you know, do you have some non-negotiables or what does your practice design look like? Yeah, well, the, the, again, I try to keep it simple, really. So I really like, um, you know, and it's probably something I picked up off a course, but, you know, I, realism, it's, it's got, let's not, comp, this game is brilliant. Let's not complicate it. We don't need to complicate it. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an invasion game. I'm trying to protect my goal. You're trying to protect yours. I'm trying to score in your goal. Playing on a pitch with sidelines. We've got offside. You don't need much more than that. And then what we've got to do is just be really clever about creating the opportunities to practice the things we want to practice. So I will always, my starting point will always be the game. And I will always look at what does it actually look like in the game? So if we're doing a, you know, if we're doing a finish in the attack practice, where does it take place on the pitch? What's happening? You know, um, what's the lead up to it? It's usually transitional. It's a sort of a transitional moment. How can we create that? What I've started to do more recently is, is sort of almost have like a second phase to the practice as well. So we'll have the first ball and whatever's happening with it. And then as soon as that ball's gone, there's another ball coming in. Yeah. And um, that's to try and give those transitional moments to sort of force them to happen. But, you know, goals are mainly scored in transition. So attacking and defending needs to happen in transition. Um, so, uh, you know, realism is, is really important. It's got to be relevant to whoever you're working with. You know, it's got to be appropriate for them. It's got to meet their needs individually and collectively. And, and we've got to have lots of repetition. They've got to have lots of goes at it, you know, lots of, lots of opportunity to practice it. So that, that would sort of shape how I deliver things, really, those three things. Building on something you mentioned before about, you know, I know how much you commit to learning. If, mm. if we had two videos side by side of, of your coaching sessions, one that was maybe two or three years ago and one that was recent, what, mm. what would you see, you know, that, that you're doing more of or less of in, in the more recent one? So what, what have you yeah. probably, the question is probably, what have you learned and how mm. has it impacted your, your delivery in the past couple of years? Yeah, well, I can link this, I can link this thread back to teaching really. So what, what happens when you start teaching is, and a bit like this with coaching, it can be, there's a sense of needing to be in control because things are very fluid in coaching and teaching in terms of once it begins, you know, there's a lot of variables, a lot of, a lot of things that can happen. And as a coach, you, you generally want to be in control and you want to kind of, I don't mean in terms of even like, you know, command can control sort of thing. But I've probably been more, I'm probably increasingly comfortable with not being in control and, and, and sort of guiding rather than leading the session, you know. Yeah. And I'm, I've learned a lot more about the power of observation. And I've heard like Alex Ferguson talking about this, you know, and I, I see it a lot. And probably because of my role, how it's been over the last three or four years, 
you know, where I've done quite a lot of um, supporting of coaches and I've, I've watched a lot of people work, you know, that, that I think we vastly overrate our impact as coaches. You know, the academy system, you've got really good players playing with each other. They will get better just by virtue of doing that. And yeah. what we need to do more of is actually get out the way. We need to get out the way and, and let them just get on with it and, and just give them little bits and, you know, when they need it. Um, I think we vastly overrate our ability to, you know, good coaching can have a, a, an impact, but skillful coaching is more in the shadows, I think. Um, and I'm increasingly sort of seeing that. And, you know, you listen to a lot of the stuff in rugby, Brian Ashton, Eddie Jones, they're right. You know, the players are in control on the pitch. We've got to let them, we've got to give them opportunity to become really good decision makers and solve problems. So the more we can get out of the way, the better, because the best lessons you learn in your life are the ones that you learn by working it out yourself, really. Um, and obviously you need help along the way and a bit of guidance, but you know, we need to get out of the way. And I'm not, I'm not sort of saying that advocating it's, you know, um, you know, games, let games be the teacher. There's a lot of skill involved in, in setting up that learning and, and kind of like creating those opportunities. And I think that's what we've got to get really good at and, and, and try and be less in control of the session. You say, John, you're working with 13 to 16s. <clears throat> Take the, the the lower end of that, sort of your 12, 13, 14 year old boys. Um, yeah. When they're sort of, some will make their debuts in the next three, four years, perhaps the, the top, mm. top players, but the, the other ones will probably play first team football in seven, eight, 10 years time. Yeah. What do you think the the players will need in seven to 10 years time? What Where's yeah. the game going in your opinion? And, and how are you working with the players now to prepare them for a game that yeah. maybe doesn't yet exist? Yeah. Um, I, I think the key, well, one of the keys is adaptability. So I, I think there's clues, you know, there's clues if you look, if you look at the game now. So if we take England as an example, you know, um, and I really hope they win tonight, by the way, because I think it would be a massive moment for coaching because in Gareth Southgate, you've got someone doing things quite differently, breaking a lot of cliches, things like you can't change a winning team. Well, you can, and he has. Um, things like, you know, you have to have lots of, you know, you have, to, you have to shout at the players, you have to put all these demands on them. In the first team, it's like this, this and this. Well, no, actually, you can. It's about building relationships. It's about um, creating a good environment that people want to be a part of, giving people a voice. So, I think if England win, it could be massive for coaching because people generally get on the bandwagon of winning teams and winning, you know, um, philosophy. So, you know, th there's that side of things. But adaptability, I think, is massive because if you look at England in this tournament, you know, they have played, they've played multiple systems. Um, they've played in different ways. Um, things like bringing Sancho into the team specifically for that Ukraine game because they knew that there was going to be, it was important to have width and, and get around the outside of Ukraine. You know, so, so adaptability, I think, is really, really important. And one of the things that I've been thinking about is that in academy football, there was a bit of a kind of like a, a fashion a few years ago based on Barcelona, I think, of, right, in an academy, what we need to do is all the teams need to play the same way as the first team. 
everything needs to you know be all the same blah 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 they get taught all the way through and that's fine and there is there is value in that but I think we're doing the players a disservice if we do that because the game is evolving it's changing all the time so we need players that can adapt to the changes you know um, that might be in front of them the reality is we don't know exactly what it's going to look like in seven years time but we know that it's probably going to be a bit quicker we know that there's going to be different formations I, I watched a team come to Preston last year and they played four different formations in one game now if we're just playing one playing system in an academy and you're narrowing their education their football education that much that's going to be really difficult for them so I think the more the more um, variety and the vet the, you know the more variety we can give them the better so what that might look like and one of the things we're going to be doing at Blackburn next year just as an example is we, we have a curriculum to try and give them a breadth of experience, you know, teach them different aspects of the game. Um, and within that, they obviously have their, their own individual programs. But what we're going to do is we're going to actually block um, the curriculum into eight weeks. And we're going to block a formation that we use for eight weeks. So, for example, the first weeks one to eight, we're going to play with the back four. And the coaches can choose, um, you know, how the rest of the team looks, but they're going to play with a back four. And it's probably going to be a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3, depending on who they've got in their group. Uh, and we're all going to do that. So if we've got players moving between age groups, they're not going from playing a 3-5-2 in one to a 4-3-3 a three, three in the other, because they need some consistency of messages and understanding. But then after eight weeks, and we'll, we'll work through, through the different principles of play that we have, for those eight weeks then we're going to go to a back three for eight weeks uh, and it's either going to be a, a three four three or a three um, with a boxing midfield and one up front uh, and then we're going to go after that for eight weeks playing with two up front and then we're going to come back to a back four and then we're going to go to a, a three at the back and then we're going to go back to a two up front so what we're trying to do is give them a variety of opportunities to play in different ways. And obviously we don't get too caught up in systems because as soon as the players start moving, they're out of a system anyway. But there's, there are sort of fundamental differences in playing with a back three or a back four or playing with two up front. And what that will hopefully do is give them a, a breadth of understanding of, of different ways of playing. And then what we might do towards the end of the season is then start to do multiple ones in, 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 in one game, you know, to really sort of challenge them. And that, I think that's a way that you can kind of um, put a framework in place and manipulate things to create learning opportunities um, that hopefully further down the line will benefit them um, rather than just saying, well, the first team play 4-3-3, so we're going to play 4-3-3. But in seven years' time, they might be doing something completely different. So yeah. what's, the point of, what's the point of doing that? What's the point? Is there... Um something specific you look for in players i know that in different for in different positions you'll have different profiles but what's the common what's the common thread that, that you see in the elite players <clears throat> that come through and and these are probably mm. as we linked to earlier they're probably the same in elite um actors and elite businessmen yes. there's, there's probably a, a common thread but is, is there some you know physical attributes as well that that, that, that they all have or what what, well, what's, what are you seeing I think people who become very successful generally in any industry and 
we get really caught up in football and maybe because I've done different things like I find it very insular sometimes people talk about football as if this only happens in football when in reality it happens in every industry so you know I, I think people that are successful in life are generally outstanding at something you know they have something that they can do exceptionally well and they're very aware of what that is as well and then they you know they they make a really big thing about it so you know Conor McGregor had that fight last night now why is he he's lost like four out of the last five fights or whatever it is and I'm not really into UFC by the way but I was reading this article this morning and he's still the biggest name in it because he's an amazing showman he's he's incredible he is outstanding at that and so he gets he these opportunities it. and he knows it. He knows it and he plays on it, of course. Yeah. So, you know, people who are successful, they, they are very, very self-aware in my view. And, 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 and part of our job, I think, with young players is to kind of help them become self-aware, help them understand what their strengths are and then give them opportunities to really, really enhance it. And I think when I started coaching, it was all about correcting things that they weren't very good at, you know, yeah. because it was, e- it was easy to do that. And it's actually harder to focus on their strengths. So, you know, I, I think everybody is different. So I don't, th- I don't think it would be right to say, well, you have to be exceptionally driven. Well, you probably do, but there's probably people who are not, who've been successful because they're absolutely outstanding at something else. But I mean, generally, if you look at the, the players that do, that make the most of their talent, they are very hardworking. They are very driven. They can cope with, the physical and technical demands of the level as they as they go through the levels because every year it gets harder and harder because it's a filtering process so you know what what it comes down to ultimately is everyone's very good but some have the edge on others and that might be through their outstanding technique or their outstanding mentality or a combination of things um but you, you've got to be outstanding at something. And, and the, the areas you're not so good at, they just need to be good enough, probably. So if you think about someone like Beckham, well, I was talking, a more modern example, I was talking to our under-14 striker the other day, and I was talking to him about the importance of working on his finishing because it needs to get better. Um, and I was saying, this, this might be something that holds you back because you're very, very good physically, you're strong and you're fast and you have an impact, but you're finishing, you need, you know, it's going to need to be better. And I said, if you think about Calvert-Lewin and Harry Kane, you know, on paper, Calvert-Lewin sounds better. You know, he can jump higher than Harry Kane. He's better in the air. He's faster than him. He's stronger than him, you know. um, But Harry Kane gets in the team because when a ball drops in the box, he finishes it. He's outstanding at that. Um, And, you know, that's what gets him in the team ahead of Calvert-Lewin, even though maybe his attributes you know, are inferior in lots of ways. So, you know, I, I think, yeah, I, I think to you, you're looking for something outstanding and then you're looking to kind of enhance that as much as you can. Um, but, you know, the, the, all the players are different. You know, we, we've spoken about one of the players we've both worked with, Matt, and, you know, he came to our academy at Preston and he was really good at most things. And what he needed was an opportunity, um, which, which he didn't get. And he's gone on to get that somewhere else. But, you know, so opportunity is massive. And that's why when people say, like, you know, I didn't have a professional playing career, but I always say, well, I didn't have the opportunity to have a professional playing career because opportunity is huge. And it's not to say I could have done, but, you know, I, I didn't get that opportunity. 
And you definitely couldn't why, have. <laughs> <laughs> that's why that's why with coaches, we've got to be really careful not to limit ourselves just to people who so if, if, if it's so hard to be a professional and if you've got to be in that one point one percent or whatever it is, yeah. then why would we just limit our coaches to that 0.001% who happen to get that opportunity? Well, we shouldn't do. You know, we've got we've got to get a, a mix of different people with different yeah. skills. Speaking of outstanding qualities, mate, what would mm. you say is yours? Well, I should know this, shouldn't I, seeing as I've been banging on about self-awareness? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think being a learner, and that sounds, I'm almost vomiting in my mouth while I'm saying that, but, <laughs> you know, like, I, I think what differentiates me from others is how relentless I am about getting better and learning. Um, and I don't know where that comes from really, but I think partly it's because I'm trying to make up for lost time because I've, I've felt like I've been, you know, I didn't really get into this career until I was 30. So I'm kind of like in a race to catch up and make up for the time I've wasted, although I haven't wasted it now. I realize that, but, um, and also maybe because, you know, like my, when I think back to like my dad, you know, he, 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 he was my football coach as well. So that was a bit of an inspiration, but he, he had a job. He was like, he, he trained as an accountant because that was an opportunity that he got with the, you know, with the local government accountant and he, he was good at it and he did well at it, but it probably wasn't something he, well, he didn't love it. It, it was just something he did and it was a means to an end. And you know, I think the desire in me is just I found something that I absolutely love and I'm just absolutely fascinated by it and curious about it. And I bumped into an old teacher from school once and she said to me, um, she said, uh, don't you just feel that there's so many books to read and so little time? And at the time I was about 19 and I didn't have a clue what she's talking about. But as I've got older, I know what she means. And there's so much stuff to learn and so little time. And so I have this, have this real drive about me to just want to just learn and learn and learn and get better and better and better and just a, a fascination with it, really. And, um, yeah, I think that's probably my big thing, really, um, that probably differentiates me. Um, I know I'm not the only one who does it, but that's probably my strength. So all the time, I'd like to think I'm just getting better all the time. Um, and hopefully... You know, if that continues, it'll it'll benefit, you know, the players that I'm coaching. Yeah, knowing obviously Matt knows you a, a little better than I do, but I'm, mm. I'd agree with you on that. That comes across, Matt. I think that is that is definitely your your super strength. I, I, I can I can tell and I can see that. So credit to Lee, you. Yeah, I, it's obviously playing Lee, I would jump in just to say I definitely agree <laughs> because. Uh, he, he does so much that he actually pressures me into doing stuff. <laughs> so it's like, I, I thought that I like read stuff and watch stuff and listen to stuff. But every time I speak to John, he's read or listened to three times as many things as I have. So, so let's, yeah. let's, let's dig into that then, Matt. So how, <laughs> not, not so much how you manage your time and stuff like that, John, but how do you then take, how do you action things? Have you got any tips on how mm. you, all your, your new learnings, how do you, how do you turn it into um, progress or, or bring it to life? Have you got any tips to share on that? Because I know when well, me and Matt spoke about this coming off the back of lockdowns and stuff, loads of stuff in there, but it's, 
how do you get it from there and, and make it habit or, or, or actually yeah. make it work? Have you got any tips you can share with me, let alone the listeners? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, one thing, I, one thing I have, which works for me is I, and you'll find this really old fashioned league. So I know that you're all iPads and stuff. Um, and, you know, I'm quite jealous really of how proficient you are with it all, but I use a, uh, I use a day. Abacus. No, no, not because <laughs> I use um, one page a day diary. And I used to work with this guy who was absolutely nuts, right, in this youth theatre. And what he used to do, I've told Matt this before, he used to write a to-do list in his one-day-a-page diary. And it was A4-sized. And he would fill the full page, right, with <laughs> probably about sick, <laughs> 250 things. <laughs> that he wanted to do on his to-do list. And he would write it out every single day, like handwrite it out and maybe do one of them. And then he'd write the full 249 things out the next day. <laughs> so I'm not recommending doing that, but I think having like, um, having somewhere you can like put your thoughts. So I find that really useful, like not having to retain stuff in your head. So, and quite often I'll do this like before I go to bed or something, which makes me sound really boring. But if there's something in my head that I think I've got to, I want to say that to that person tomorrow, or I need to order that book, or I've got to remember to watch that video, I write it down. And, um, you know, I, I try not to have too many things, but I write it down. And I read this brilliant book recently where it was talking about um, being more productive. Um, and what it said was, you can't allow your day to be dictated by your email. So most people, what they'll do in a, a job where you use a laptop, they'll open up their laptop, they'll switch it on, they'll go on their emails and almost their emails set their agenda for the day. And you've got to set your own agenda. You've got to, you've got to have what you want to get done and then make a little window for doing the boring stuff like your emails. Give yourself 20 minutes, it's sort of said in this book, where you blitz all your emails and anything you can respond to in two minutes, do it. Anything you can't either delete it or just put it in a folder for some for another day if you really need it. But yeah, I think just having like a, you know, like a, a very short to do list or reminders really, and find a method that works for you. you. You don't have to write them down. I think that's um, yeah, I think that's good. So if I'm ever listening to like a podcast and they, they talk about a book, I'll pause it and I'll put it. I'll go straight on Amazon and put it on my wish list. And then next time I'm short of a book, I'll, I'll be like, oh, yeah, that's that one I wanted to read or whatever it might be. But I think when, when you have kids and, you know, I know we've all got kids now, like I think it makes you ruthless with your time. Like you have to, you have windows of opportunity <laughs> and you can't procrastinate about it because if you don't do it, then it's not getting done. So, you know, it, it, it's about choosing how you use your time, you know. So, you know, what's important to you? If it's important to you, well, do it prioritize it don't just sit there like a potato watching the telly you know if you if you want to get fit well you will have an opportunity in the day to go and do something for half an hour go and do it you will have an opportunity to read every day make it happen you know you will have an opportunity to sit there and um you know have a conversation with someone do it you know make sure you make sure you get these things done um because otherwise you'll just waste time scrolling through twitter or instagram or whatever it is and it's Listen, I'm not saying you can't do that, but we haven't got time for these things. There's so many, yeah. so many more important things we've got to be doing. 
Speaking, speaking of speaking of book recommendations, mate, there's a good one called um, My Life's To Do Lists: 250 Points a Day by John's previous colleague. Got <laughs> 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 that list though, John, that you make every day. There was yeah. something. I mean, you you sort of challenged me with this, but there has to be something on there that's making you better every day, isn't there? So yeah. like, it, it isn't just tasks. As in, no. oh, I need to do this, then this, then this. It's like, no. well, what, you know, you said to me, every day you have to be doing something to make you better. Mm. And, and you just have to be clear on what that is. Yeah, I think you have to have real clarity over what, what your sort of goal is or what your focus is. So my, my, my question I always ask myself is, is it going to make me a better coach? So is doing this thing going to make me a better coach, which is what I want to be? And if the answer is no, it's not getting done unless I have to do it. I'm not doing it. I'm prioritising what I want to be doing and, and what I want to get better at. And I think you have to be really ruthless about it. Um, so, is that, so what you're saying is we're really lucky to have you on here tonight? Well, <laughs> no, because I th- I, this, is, this is a good experience to be reflecting and, and, and thinking about, you know, myself and, and, and things that I've done. And, um, you know, so, so that's why I'm happy to do it, really, because it, yeah, I'm. I'm probably thinking it will. It will help me. <laughs> what What um, is um What is your goal then? Yeah, my my goal. Well, and and this is this is something I've been thinking about recently, actually. So my sort of focus is to you know to be the best coach I can be, which again sounds a bit naff, but it has meaning to me. So then, what I thought about was, and this was influenced by Simon Hartley, the sports psychologist. But okay, there's a million one things I could be doing to become the best coach I could be. But I'm not going to do all those things. I need a focus, so I'm going to have five. So what are the five most important things that I need to be doing? And it's things like watching other people coach, going to live games and studying them, planning, delivering and reviewing myself, reading, listening to podcasts. There's the, there's the five things. I can, I can name them off the top of my head. But what I've come to realise is that um, because I'm so driven by these things, I've actually neglected other things in my life like, family and friends because they're not on that five <laughs> and I, and so consequently I don't prioritize them and that's probably not healthy or good so what I probably need is to refine this focus and, and make it a bit more holistic in terms of me as a person yeah. and, and my life and um you know because I, I think I will regret that in time um and I do have some friends by the way yeah. it's not many <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah to, to get you to have a coffee i have to promise to talk about football so then when you yeah. think well is it going to make me better yes it will then yes yeah. i'll come <laughs> no it, it is really interesting though because you know you are i do think that is your super strength i do think you're a very good learner and i am shocked sometimes at the amount of stuff that you do but mm. you're right because you know, I was thinking then when you were talking about, well, actually, how much, I don't want to say wastage, but, you know, there's probably, there's probably time in the day where I would have just sat and done nothing. And mm. listen, I might, I might have needed that at the time. But, yeah. you know, I do think, well, actually, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't read today and you think, well, I could have done. There was a moment then, there was a moment yeah. then, but I chose to do something else. I, I do think it's... You know, it yeah. is not on your own there, Matt. When he was saying that, my head dropped. I was like, Yeah, me, but, yeah. But the thing is, as well, you know, you're, you're not wrong in that because I read a brilliant book recently called Rest. Okay. And what this book was about was about 
the in the world that we live in now it was saying it's so difficult to rest and actually we're neglecting rest um and it was saying that you know that you need to do it because to perform well you need to be rested and, and obviously yeah. top athletes know that and it's a really really good book it, it goes through they did a, a big research project eighteen thousand people i think it was and they've, they've come up with this definitive list of the top 10 best ways to rest but the interesting thing about it was that most of them are things that you do by yourself yeah you know and, and actually you know it's very hard to rest in the modern world because the, the the stream of information and things you've got access to is just never ending so yeah. you, i found you probably, that me- mental yeah. rest is really difficult to get isn't it like physical Definitely. rest is pretty you were yeah. okay at because we sit down a lot but like Definitely. it's that mental rest switching off or, or yeah. focused attention on something other than that's really challenging i find yeah yeah so i think you know i'm sort of talking about all these things and push 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 and you know getting better and no time to waste but actually you've almost got to build that within you know mm-hmm. you've got to value it and you've got to create opportunities for it to happen um that's definitely there are opportunities I've, you've just got to find them i've noticed you have got better at that that that's an improvement of yours isn't it over the 18 yeah, months it is. i would say in the last 18 months i wanted to pick up on something because I, I know that some you know we've had some feedback from some of the listeners as well around when when you go and watch the game so you talked about watching a live game and analyzing mm. it what are you looking at to help you improve as a coach mm. because well, people will watch games they go oh yeah i watched the game last night on tv i watched monday night football i watched that what what are you watching that's different to maybe the person that's in the pub watching the game yeah i think well the first thing i do is if i watch a live game I try and watch it from a really high sort of vantage point. So, you know, I try and sit really high up in the stand to get a perspective where you can see all of the players. And I actually find it really difficult now watching live games on TV because I get really frustrated that I can't see. Away from the ball. Yeah, I can't see everything. And I think there's different ways to do it, really. I mean, I think it's sometimes good to go and watch it with a really specific focus. So, you know, I've been with a player in the past, an academy player, and we've just gone and watched one player and we've just focused on everything that player does at all moments in the game. What's he, what's he doing on the ball? What decisions is he making? Why is he making that decision? What positions is he getting in? What's he doing off the ball? What's his role within the press? All these things that can be really useful. And that gives you like that real, um, you know, microscope focus. It can be useful to watch, you know, the the, the team and, and to try and um, look at a particular aspect of their play. So I think it's good to really target, partic- not just watching whoever, you know, like when I watched them, um, I watched Leeds two years in a row when they came to Preston yeah, yeah. and I watched them with a specific focus of what they were like out of possession because it was a bit different and the man for man stuff and all that type of business. <laughs> and that was really useful. So I was just purely watching through that lens. So I think watching through a specific lens, whether it's team focused, tactic focused or player focused is a really useful way to go about it. Um, and you, you do get drawn into watching the ball and the action that's happening on the ball. But the more you can look at the stuff ha- happening around and away from the ball, the better as well. Um, but it takes a bit of practice to do that because you naturally get drawn in. It helps, I think, if you don't support one of the teams, so you can watch it more objectively. Yeah, um, I, I actually think that's one of the biggest 
um, areas for development in coaches, you know, that I see mm. is that we, you know, and I'll include myself and, you know, I do, mm. we get wrapped up in the, in, in the yes. game and the emotion of it and we follow the ball and actually the, the real coaching <clears> detail <throat> is probably, you know, away from it and or around it, yeah. but definitely away from it. You know, when the ball yeah. goes in there, well, what's our back four doing? And, you know, have we locked in here and have we dropped off there? And, you know, it was at the trigger. And I think sometimes we get caught up and looking at the ball. We actually miss the real important stuff around it. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I agree with that. I think the best coaches retain that objectivity, you know, when they're watching yeah. things. Um, I think that's really important. And, you know, ego is the enemy, isn't it? You know, it, it draws draws coaches into the game. It makes it all about them and their team. And especially in academy football, that's not what we're there for. We're there, we're there for the individuals and that's what we should be focusing on and, and helping the collective and, you know, but we're there for the individuals. We're not, it's not about the team. It's not your team. They're, they're just, you know, players that you are, are you know, are, are coaching and trying yeah. to help get better. Yeah. Um, right. I'm, I'm conscious of time. And mm -hmm. um, I know that Lee needs to get his face painted before the game starts. <laughs> so I'll, we'll just have a couple of questions. We, we ask mm. um, everyone we get on to two questions just to finish up. Firstly, yeah. it's around um, something that they, they have watched, read or listened to recently that they would recommend. Now, because I know you watch, read and listen to so many things, it would be nice to get um, something that's maybe very football specific and something mm. that's maybe you know more about learning and improving. So, what what have you what have you consumed recently that you would recommend to others? Well, I'm reading at the moment um, Astro Ball, which is quite an interesting book. So it's about baseball. It's kind of like a a version of Moneyball, but in essence, what it's talking about is about how to blend data and the information that data gives us with the skill of the human eye and the experience so, so moneyball was all about kind of like data really and about yeah kind of um you know not relying on the human eye and and and, and this is almost like the next stage of that and it's it's quite an interesting um it's quite an interesting book i'm about halfway through it so that's a really good one um yeah. and then pr probably the other one would be football specific i would say and I apologize if someone else has mentioned this, but you've got to listen to the Gareth Southgate high performance podcast. Um, the Damon Hughes one, that's, that's a, a fantastic listen. It's absolutely outstanding. And some of the messages in there are just brilliant. So that, that would be something that I would, I've listened to that very recently and yeah, it just really gets you thinking about things and that's, that's a very good listen. Agreed. Yeah. I, I, I actually found that, reassuring it felt me it felt good listening to you yeah. know somebody at the top top level saying yeah. some of the stuff that actually i believe in as well i thought yeah. that was a really good listen yeah. um the last question then would be what advice would you give to a young john prince all that mm. many years ago what what yeah. bit of advice would you give them or or if it's an easier way of looking at it because you know maybe you wouldn't want to change your journey but what, mm. what would you give to young coaches, you know, who are mm. just starting out now? What bit of advice? Yeah, the advice I would give is to um, have a look at that quote around education. So I think, the, I don't know how you pronounce it, actually, I should know this, we've been teaching English at school as well, Yates, isn't it? Mm -hmm. 
Yates, the quote. So it says that education is not about filling the, the pail, well. of, you know, filling the well with water. It's about lighting a fire. And I see a lot of coaches who, you know, there's a, there's a real obsession with tactics, isn't there, in modern coaching? And, and it's because of the, we've got more awareness than ever about tactics. That You know, tactics are a massive part now of modern football and, you know, everyone's an expert, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of coaches just seem to want to just pour information into players. They just think their job is just to, just like, you know, it's almost like a cup that you fill in with water yeah. to the point of it overflowing. And I just don't think that's the right approach at all. And I thought that was the right approach. And that's what I was like as a teacher. I was like, right, we've got this to teach. They need to learn this. So I'm going to give, give, give them this. I'm giving them all this stuff. You know, they can't possibly, you know, fail if I give them all this stuff. But it's it's actually about inspiration. It's about lighting a fire. It's about it's about inspiring them to go and find out about it and learn. And that's what you that's what you have to try and remember. You're there to to light fires. You're not there just to pour information into people. Um, so the more that you can do that, the better. Um, and that involves talking less, listening more, and and really, really working at developing your practice design. Because if you get the practice design right, the rest will take care of itself. Um, so that that's you know, and a lot of people are not very good at designing good practices. And you know, you can't go wrong with a game. So if you can't get a good practice, just get them involved in a game and give them little bits as they go along. What does the future hold for you, mate? Um, what this evening? <laughs> well, you know, moving forward, um, I don't. I've never really had, although I'm sort of quite driven and, and things. I've never really had specific goals in mind. I just, I just focus on the process. You know, focus on the process of getting better and learning, and just seeing where that takes me. I mean, I, you know, I, I love, I love coaching and working in in youth football. Would I like an experience in first team football at some point? Of course, that would be amazing. But is it a goal of mine? No, it's not really. Um, I just love coaching and working with players. And, and the other thing I realised, and this came from education really, is I like working with people who want to achieve things. So it was a bit of a fashion in teaching to be like, oh, I'm really good with the tough classes and I love working with them. And well, I didn't. I hated that. I liked working with the good classes the ones who are desperate to learn and get better. And that's why I was attracted to academy football, because you're working with the best players and you're working with people who want to achieve things. So I want to be working in an environment where I'm working with people who want to be the best, because that's what I want to be. So and that goes for coaches and players. So, um, yeah, that's, what I, that's where I want to be. Um, and um, I'm just focusing on, on getting better, really, and, and seeing where things take me. Um, and, and the, you know, the, the longer I've been in coaching, the more I realise I don't know about stuff. So, you know, the, the journey is never ending, isn't it? Yeah, brilliant, mate. <clears throat> Great stuff. It, thoroughly uh, enjoyable chat. I appreciate <laughs> you giving, giving up your time, especially this close to kick off. On I enjoyed it. It's going to be a historic me. evening, I'm sure, of that, Matt. Well, so, let's uh, hope so. If, look, <laughs> put it this way, if they don't win, I'm never eating pizza again. <laughs> <laughs> um, mate, listen, all, all the best for 
the future. I, I say this, I won't say good luck because I don't think you, you deserve luck with, with your work ethic and, and the way you approach things, mate. So I uh, hope the season is is favourable and I know you'll enjoy it and get thoroughly stuck into your new role and uh, look forward to catching up throughout the year, see how you're going. Matt, anything yeah, from you be before we, we wrap up? No, just uh, likewise. Thanks very much, JP. And you said 2-1 England, was it? Yeah, 2-1 England, yeah. 2-1 England. So if it's not 2-1 England, he knows nothing. You've wasted an hour of your time listening to the podcast. So. <laughs> Thanks, JP. Good stuff. Cheers, mate. Cheers. See you later.